just so that you're aware of what's happening. At Sparrow Baptist Church, we typically try to do a series of sermons, and so that way you can kind of know what to expect. And so we'll be going from Acts chapter 1. We've already covered a a couple of uh, sermons, a couple of portions of Acts chapter 1. But we'll be going from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 10. Of course, we'll take appropriate breaks. For example, next week we'll talk about Thanksgiving. We won't be preaching from Acts. And then Christmas time, we'll focus on Christmas and so on. Um, And then, Lord willing, by uh, the new year, then we'll make another pivot and go to a new new section. Um, So Acts chapter number 1. We're going to be looking at a series of verses where the church makes its first decision. And we're going to be talking about how to make decisions by faith. How to make decisions by faith. Now, we've all made a decision. We all all know how to make decisions as far as we're not just paralyzed sitting and don't know how you're here, right? So you decided to get up and come, whether that's individually you decided that or you came with someone, came with your parents, whatever. We know how to make decisions, but we're learning how to make decisions by faith. And that's what we see here. We see the first church making a decision by faith. Christians need to know how to make decisions by faith. We'll talk about that. We're going to explain the passage, and we're going to go through a couple of points and talk about uh, this is how you make a decision by faith. So this sermon is a bit more of a how-to, but we are going to, it's going to be straight here from the passage. We're going to explain that and talk about how, how to do that. Acts 1 will begin in verse number 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. That's about half a mile or 2,000 paces is what scholars tell us. When they were come in to the upper room, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered with us, and had obtained part of this ministry. And uh, verse 18, now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. I'll explain all that in a moment. Verse 19, and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem in so much as that field is called in their proper tongue, a keldama, that is to say the field of blood. And so it, we jump down in verse number 24. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather together. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to study your word. God, this is not an opportunity for us to hear something that's going to re-emphasize our own thoughts. Lord, this is a time where we can listen to what you have to say. And I pray that you would speak to us deeply. God, I pray for the one or two or three in the room that if they die today, they don't know for sure if they'd go to heaven. Help them to take another step today closer to making that decision. And Lord, your word says that today is the day of salvation. And I pray that they would be saved. Teach us all how to make decisions by faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I read an article. This article was in the Wall Street Journal in 2001. How many of you are Starbucks people? One. How many of you are Tim Hortons people? Oh, look at the hands. Tim Hortons is cheaper. And they're everywhere. Very Canadian, right? This article happens to be about Starbucks. Starbucks first turned regular drip coffee into a $5 half-calf extra-whipped cream mocha latte. Now they're producing dozens of bizarre concoctions dreamed up by social media stars. These complex drinks include a triple caramel threat. Never heard of this. Cold brew. Praise God for cold brew. With caramel syrup. Vanilla sweet cold foam blended with dark caramel and caramel drizzle. Oh, so sweet. Wow. And a matcha pink drink featuring the chain's strawberry, a KI refreshers, I'm probably saying that wrong, beverage with green tea powder and sweet cold foam added. Their complexity is lengthening lines and driving baristas nuts. One quote. It's a bit exhausting, said a Starbucks barista in Buffalo, New York. The drinks treat Starbucks menu less like a lineup of drinks and more like a buffet of ingredients to be mixed together in crazy ways to create off-menu drinks that may list 10 separate customizations on the side of the cup. Lord, help us all. The customized beverages center on a Starbucks mainstay. Customers' ability to tailor any drink to their tastes and take it to the extreme. Starbucks says in addition to the beverage options listed on its menu boards, there are 170,000 plus ways Baristas can customize beverages. Society suffers from a plague of things that are far too complicated. Making decisions. I'll never forget the first time I walked into Starbucks. This is back in the day. I walked in and I'm like, I don't know what any of these words mean. <laughs> What's a macchiato? And I didn't even know how to say macchiato. What's an espresso? What's a cappuccino? What is, um, I'd like a coffee. Well, you know, walking into some of these places, that's not good enough. What kind? Guys, if we're honest, oftentimes when it seems to making decisions in life, just because there's a vast array of choices, 
we can seem absolutely paralyzed. And if we're not careful, we will approach Christianity with that same mindset where we will come in and we can, until we're taught differently, we can come to a church or we can come to the Bible, we can come to God and we can say, okay, are you ready? Because get ready, because this is what I want. Ready? Here we go. And it's almost as if we can come to God with this custom life that we want him to give us. And we have to realize, first of all, if we're going to learn to make a decision by faith, the example of these first Christians teach us right off the bat that the order has been flipped. It is not me standing in front of God as if God is the, and I say this respectfully, the barista taking my order and what I want. That is not how you make a decision by faith. The opposite is flipped. I'm the one who works and serves God and I'm saying, God, what would you like for my life? Step one, which side of the counter are you on? I'm trying to get God to do this for me. Maybe you should ask God what he wants for your life. And then he will do that. That's really scary. Yeah, I know it's called faith. It's called faith. That means, I mean, I've got to trust him. Exactly. It's called faith. The first thing that we see here is the importance of making a decision by faith. We won't spend a lot of time on this. Why faith? Why should we learn to make a decision by faith? Now, when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about my beliefs. We're talking about God's beliefs that I come to and I say, okay, I'm going to believe what you say and I'm going to trust you for the result. That's what faith is. Faith is the path of victory that overcomes the world. First John 5, 4 says, for whatsoever is born of God, to be born again is the Bible term. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. If we want to make decisions that are going to overcome opposition and give us a life of victory according to God's definition of victory, we're going to have to learn to make decisions by faith. And that, again, that begins with, God, what do you want? How you make a decision is more important than the decision that you're actually making. How you make a decision is more important than the decision you actually make. How do people make decisions? Well, they can make a decision based on emotion. This is how I feel. Okay, but if you waited a day, would you feel different? Oftentimes we will. We can make a decision based pure on emotion. We know that's not a, a good life choice, but we can do that. We can do it based on circumstances. Well, this is what appears to be happening around me, and so this is the decision I'm going to make. But again, if you were to wait a day, would circumstances change? What about the people in our life? 
I'm going to talk to my friends. I'm going to talk to the people I trust, and they're going to give me some advice. It's not a bad, it's not a bad way to make decisions. But again, if you waited a day or two, would something, would something come up in that circumstance or come, something come up in your feelings, in your feelings or in their feelings, and now all of a sudden the advice would be different? Here's the thing about making a decision by faith. And as we learn these points, you'll realize making a decision by faith is predictable, meaning it's repeatable, meaning it's dependable. If I make a decision by faith today, that same process is going to be available to me in 10 years. Whereas if I'm taking someone's advice, that person may not even be my, th- my friend in three years. They may decide to have a change of heart and they may run off and do something that I disagree with wildly. My emotions, good. I mean, a bad coffee day and a good coffee day. My emotions go up and down. And so on and so forth. How you make a decision is more important than the decision that you're trying to make. If you come to me and ask for, me inv- ask for my advice about this and that, and you say, this is what I want to do, this is one of the questions I will ask you. How do you make decisions? What is your process? It is wise to have a biblical, repeatable, dependable Process. You say, well, that's not always predictable. It's always predictable in the sense that I've always got God to trust to bring things around in his time. That is how it is predictable. We can see this in the first church. Let's look and see what the passage has for us. First of all, we see they had a history of obedience. If we're going to learn to make decisions by faith, number one, we have to have a history of obedience. We have to have a willingness to follow Christ. If we're going to make a decision by faith, I have to have a history of saying, I've been following you. I can't come in all full of pride, all full of myself, all full of what I want, and expect to be able to make a wise decision by faith. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you notice, it says in verse number 12, it says, then return they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. And if you jump down to, to over to verse number four, why did they go back to Jerusalem? Now, remember, where, where are we in the journey of Jesus? Jesus just died on the cross. Three days later, rose from the dead for 40 days. This is actually a splash card. This is why I have the, the table and the, and the podium right here is because when I say 40, it's right. So that's to protect you guys. All right. For 40 days, he walked around and showed himself alive. The Bible says with many infallible proofs, he showed himself alive to over 500 brethren at one time. Many of these obviously were still alive in the book of Acts. And as history progressed and as the books of the Bible were being written, they began to be written about 30 years after Jesus died and rose to, and, and went to heaven. Many of these people were still alive and they could be consulted. Did you see Jesus alive? Yes. It wasn't just the fact that he died on the cross. He absolutely did. He died on the cross for our sin. He didn't 
die just because it was a, a great thing to do. He didn't die, listen, just to be an example of sacrificial love for humanity. He was the holy, sinless son of God, born of a virgin. You say, ah, that's a bit far-fetched. No, it's not far-fetched, friend. It's supernatural. Christianity is nothing without supernatural. Faith is nothing without the supernatural. I'm not talking about special powers coming out of your palms. I'm talking about a God in heaven that loves me so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross so that he could bear the penalty for my sin. Every time we disobey God, that's called sin. And it's not just my choices, friend. It's also my nature. There's, there's a good part in the side of every one of us that wants to do the right thing. But if we're honest with ourselves, and this is why the world is in the situation it's in, there's also a bad part. And that bad part's called the sin nature. There's a part of me that wants to do the wrong part, that wants to do the evil, that wants to do the bad. The nature is there. And that's why he came. Good works, good deeds cannot fix a nature. We must be born again. He wants to gift me a new nature by faith, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And this mercy we saw when he came, lived a pure and holy and sinless life, demonstrating that he was the very living son of God by going about in his teaching, by doing miracles, supernatural miracles, healing the sick, taking away leprosy, raising the dead, fixing limbs, fixing faces, doing everything that people could not, there's no possible way to explain it. Fulfilling prophecies that were hundreds and even thousands of years old. Over 200 prophecies Jesus fulfilled, proving that he was the very son of God. And then in the end, dying on the cross. Not because he was a sinner, but because we are sinners. And God supernaturally, spiritually put all of the guilt and all of the shame and all of the sin of all humans that have ever existed on Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus died. But he died for our sin, not for his own. And because he was pure and innocent and the holy, righteous son of God, he died for our sin. But then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that if we place our faith and trust in him for our goodness, for our reason why we're going to heaven, for our justification, you ever tried to confront somebody about something that they've done and they've got a hundred reasons why it's well it's because of this and it's because of this and it's, and it's just like just admit you did it that's all I'm looking for we as human beings have become experts on how to justify ourselves before God there's a lot of different options out there but if we are willing to humble ourselves completely and wholly from the depths of our heart, believe on Jesus Christ that what he did on the cross is sufficient to pay for our sin, 
to wipe away the guilt and the shame, then that is called salvation. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be born again. Jesus told a very religious man who was actually very shy. And he came to Jesus by night. And he was so confused. He says, I've learned all of the Old Testament. I've studied it. I've tried my best to live a good life. But something is missing. Let me ask you something. Something missing. Something missing in your life. Is that why you're here today? Let me tell you what's missing. It's the same thing that Jesus told that very good and religious man. He told him, you must be born again. It's not religion that we're missing in this world. It's not good things. It's not amazing self-sacrificial deeds. You see, salvation and being justified before God is not something that we can earn through our own efforts. It's something that we must humble ourselves and deeply admit, I cannot ever save myself. I'm trusting that Jesus and what he did on the cross is enough to satisfy God. And I'm trusting him to give me the gift of eternal life. It's that simple. You call on him to save you. Right next door, there's a fire department, that little building right there. Everything necessary to save someone in this part of the city is right there. The fire trucks are ready. The fire hydrants are ready. Their equipment's ready. They've even got their, their equipment ready with their pants and their boots and everything's just so, so they can jump in. Maybe you went and visited the fire department as a kiddo. Man, that's fun. Putting on the helmet, walking around, those big, huge trucks. Everything's ready. And if there's a fire, everything is prepared. But they have to be called. Same with Jesus. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He proved himself alive for 40 days to many witnesses. It's all prepared. What's the missing piece? You have to call on him in faith. I believe as much as possible. I am forsaking whatever thing I've told myself in the past that makes me a good person. My religion, my past, my goodness. I'm forsaking that. The Bible word is repentance. I'm changing my mind about that. And I'm turning and completely embracing. It's like somebody and the grease fire is getting higher and higher. And they've got this little tiny fire extinguisher in their home. And they pull a little pin. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I got another one. And they run and they grab another one. And your friend's like, dude, just call the fire department. No, 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 I got this. I got And how often as human beings... We hear about Jesus. We hear about what he's done for us. We hear about the proofs. We hear about the resurrection. We hear about the reliability of the scriptures. We see Christians and their lives changed. And this evidence is like, like a tidal wave that just hits us. 
And yet we, with our own good works, are constantly just sitting there with our tiny little fire extinguisher, trying to get away from the guilt and the shame and the sense of sin in our life. No, I got this. I got this. My friend, please, I'm begging you. Allow God to work in your heart to change your mind. Give up on your own efforts. Turn to Christ completely and call on him to save you. This they had done. They were Christians. They had trusted Christ for their salvation. They had a history of obedience. Verse four says, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Jesus said, but wait for the promise of the father, which saith he, you have heard of me. So first of all, we see they had a history of obedience. If we're going to make decisions by faith, have a history of obedience. The first step of obedience is trusting Christ as your savior. Choose him. Listen, so many people are like, oh, what about all the other religions in the world? What about all the other people? Make a decision about Jesus first. We, if we will be saved, we have to come to him on his terms. And he has proven himself to save people from their sin for thousands of years. And yet so many of us want to come to him and say, oh, but this one thing I'm not really sure about. That's what I'm talking about, allowing your mind to be changed. Decide about Christ and his love. Accept him. Christ loves this whole world. That's why he died. But accept him. Show Christ you have a history of obedience when you're making a decision by faith. Next, we see they prayed. Very simple. We go back over to verse 14. They were all together. They're making a church decision, right? And so they're all together in the church. The church is there. They're all together and they're all praying. It says in verse 14, these all continued with one accord. In prayer. And supplication. What should I do? Number one, have a history of obedience. Number two, pray first. Okay, history of obedience, that's in the past. But as far as how to make a decision by faith, pray first. Uh, This is not making a decision by faith. Oh, I feel super emotional about this. I'm going to make a decision and then pray everything works out. That's not the best policy. Oh, prayer doesn't work. We got to work it the right way. We got to pray first. Have you prayed about it? You know what prayer does? Prayer opens up your heart to him. Okay? You know why we don't pray? We think we got it. Again, going back to the fireman illustration. Okay? We got our little, I got this, I got this, and we're trying to figure it out. We got baking soda everywhere, and we got, it's it's getting out of hand. Just call the fire department. Just call them. And so many times in life when things we need to make a decision about Seems to be getting out of hand. We keep telling ourselves, I got this. I got this. I got this. I got Do you? Do you really? Pray first. Why do they have to make a decision? Because Jesus started his ministry with 12 apostles. One of those apostles 
was Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. He went to the enemies of Jesus, the high priests and the elders, the leaders, the religious leaders, and the political leaders of the time, and said, on this night, in this place, Jesus will be right there, and you can ambush him. I will lead you to the place. And in exchange for that information, and by the way, he was also guide. He didn't just tell them the information. He's like, come with me. I'll show you. I will help you. He took, in payment, 30 pieces of silver. In that day, 30 pieces of silver was the price for human trafficking, for a slave. So Judas Iscariot sold out the Savior for the price of a common slave. He realized what he had done after they arrested him. Oh no! Tried to give the money back. They wouldn't take it back. He threw the money down in the temple. The Bible says that he ran out and he hung himself. And then we get the rest of the details here in verse 18. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, meaning those who had taken the money and then he threw it back at them, they took that money and they bought a field to bury people in. And Judas went in that same field and that's where he hung himself, probably off a tall structure or a rock cliff or something like that. The Bible says here that the, basically the, the rope that he hung himself with broke and he fell head first and his body split open on the rocks below. That's what it's describing here. And that's why that place is called the field of blood. And so they're reading in the scriptures here, we'll get to that in just a moment, that someone else needed to take his place for the purpose of leadership in the local church, this first church. There's 11 and we should have 12. Who's going to be the 12th? How are they going to make that decision? Whose church is this? Well, it's Jesus's church, but he's up in heaven now. So how are they going to make this decision? They're going to make this decision. They have a history of obedience. What are they going to do? They're going to pray first and they're all going to pray together. Friends, can I challenge you? Pray first. Have you prayed about it? I'm not asking if you've worried about it. I'm not asking if you've talked to your friend about it. Hey, I'm not even asking if you've written it is amazing what people put on Facebook or TikTok or whatever the thing is. And we're so quick to, oh, this is how I'm feeling. Oh, this is what I should do. Oh. And that's what the post says. Oh. Like, like, thumbs up. And then all the comments. Oh. All right, we've stirred up all of our social media buddies. Everybody's, have we prayed about it yet? Have we prayed about it? The Bible says in Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah, meaning think about this. Pause, think about this. This verse says, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart. Listen, we are not actively trusting Christ if we are not praying about our problems. Well, I'm trusting God. Have you prayed about it? Well, not yet. That's not the way it works. Trust and prayer go hand in hand. Trust and prayer go hand in hand. They pray first. Pray first. We can see next, the leader spoke. Now this is getting good counsel. 
It says in, uh, in verse number 15, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together, about 120. History of obedience. Next, we see pray first. Next, we see the leader spoke. Again, this is within the context of a church. They're all praying together. This is not a dictatorship where the guy's standing up and saying, oh, this is what we ought to do. No, we're all going to pray about this issue. We're all going to pray about this issue. And the leader spoke. And what did he speak? Well, he quotes several verses from the Old Testament. It is important to have godly leaders and counselors in your life. They can be your pastor. They can be friends. They can be uh, relatives even, uh, even. But are they someone who has a history of obedience that prays first? That's a good question. He goes through a couple of Old Testament scriptures here. Psalm 41, verse 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which indeed of my bread hath lifted up his heel against me. And it says in Psalm 109, in verse 8, Let his days be few and let another take his office. Now, these verses may not mean a whole lot to us, but as they were praying and as they were reading the scriptures, it came to their attention, hey, the scripture is talking about Judas and it is leading us to pick someone else to take that place. And so the, the, the next thing that we can see here is simply to get good advice, get good advice. The next one we can see is God's word was consulted. God's word was consulted. Now, again, this, we're learning to make decisions by faith. We can't make a decision by faith just by praying and asking for advice. The third, the third piece, and really one of the most important pieces is this. What does God say? What does God say? What does God actually say about this issue? How is he leading you? Are you reading your Bible? Are you faithfully coming to church? Is your heart open to what God has to say about this issue? We've already looked at a couple of verses there in the Old Testament. Emotions change. God's word does not. The advice of friends can either be well-meaning or potentially be selfish. God's word is unfailing. Scientific studies can be biased or incomplete. Or they can be right today and then after further study, they realize, oh, it's a little bit different now. But God's word does not change. The Bible says one of my favorite verses says Proverbs 19, 21. There are many devices. That word means thoughts or purposes or textures. There are many thoughts in a man's heart. There are many devices in a man's heart. There are many textures in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. If you make a decision based on what God's word says, don't change it later on. Don't change the decision later on. God's word doesn't change, but my heart does. What does God's word say? Pastor, I think I should do this. What does the Bible say about that? Have you prayed about it? Who are you taking counsel from? Gather the facts. They gathered the facts about the situation. The Bible says, the simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Proverbs 14, 15. Last point is this. 
They yielded to what God wanted. Now here's something interesting. Let's look at this. We'll be done. Verse 23 says, And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. So two guys, Justice and Matthias. Right? Who are they supposed to pick? Well, they had some, they had some, they had some, uh, uh, some parameters of, of, of who could be one of these apostles. It said, verse 21 and 22, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So they had to have been with Jesus throughout his whole ministry, earthly ministry, those three and a half years. That's what an apostle was. And so nowadays we don't have apostles because no one now was alive with Jesus back then, right? And that's why we say the office of apostle was important, but it's past. How are they going to pick these two? It says, and they, they pray. Here they're praying once again. And it says in verse 26, and they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. Now, a lot, casting lots, is something they did in the Old Testament. Remember, this is before the Holy Spirit came down and involved believers. So we wouldn't necessarily cast lots today. Casting lots can be like drawing straws. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but you take like toothpicks or, or pieces, of, pieces of straw and someone holds them in their hand and they're all the same length except for one. And whoever draws the short straw, they're the one that's chosen for whatever. So casting lots was very similar to that. And so they're basically saying, between these two, we're going to cast lots. The Bible says in Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. They're praying, they have a history of obedience, they're taking counsel, and then they're like, this is how we're going to make this decision. God, your choice is going to be in this casting of lots. That's the way they did in the Old Testament. God doesn't necessarily teach us to do that nowadays. It says in 2 Peter 1.19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Talking about the scripture in 2 Peter 1.19, and then it says in Romans 6, 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Through having a history of obedience, through prayer, through counsel, through knowing God's word and yielding to how he is leading us, we can make a decision by faith. So my question is this, how is God leading you? How is God leading you? Is there something you need to make a decision on? Do you have a history of obedience? Are you praying about it? Are you open to counsel? Are you investigating and trying to get all the information you can about that? Are you open to God's word speaking to you about that situation? What does God actually say about that? Does he say something about it? Then lastly, how do you feel like God is leaning your heart? The Bible says not to lean unto our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. He will lean our heart. He will cause us to walk in the way if our heart is open. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. Thank you for your kind attention.